0: Welcome to Base Camp, where men join together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. If you're looking for the next level in men's ministry, join us and experience a life of Christian fellowship with men sold out for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May God be praised. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Now, Uh, Some of you looking up here at me may levy the unjust charge that I am trying by my sweatshirt to to proclaim the superiority of the Navy among the military services of the United States. Anyone who knows me knows in fact that that's ridiculous. I would never do that. I'm wearing this sweatshirt because I don't want to get cold. Besides such a fact as the superiority of the Navy doesn't really need my advertisement. Quite obvious on its own. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, uh, Acts. Uh, this is the book we're using. All the teachers are uh, have a. All the teachers have it available. We're not required to use this, uh, but it's a really great resource if you do want to to uh, follow on your own or just want a good commentary on the book of Acts. So let me advance somehow. Hey, it worked. Um, so Acts, just the facts, ma'am, for those of you who are young enough, or old enough, rather, to remember uh, Dragnet. So, um, the book of Acts is, it's really a neat opportunity to see, it's, it's one of the two volumes. It's sort of like 1st and 2nd Chronicles, except they're separated by a couple books in the case of, of Acts. So Luke wrote a two-volume work, volume one being, uh, up through the resurrection in volume two, being what happened after that. So it's been called Acts really since the first century. It was called the Acts of the Apostles originally. Um, But in the the codex that I quote there, Sinaiticus, um, it's titled Praxis. And anybody who's seen Star Trek VI remembers that name? You know, it was the clean on planet. But uh, so the question becomes whose Acts? Well, first century they said the Acts of the Apostles and there's good reason to say that. You've all read the book. So uh, there's a great deal about the Apostles and they're really critical to the progress of the book. You can divide the book up into three sections. You can divide it lots of ways. Um, But one of the ways you can divide it is the first section with the Apostle Peter and then, or actually the first section is really the Acts of the Deacons. Uh, And then the second section, the Apostle Peter, and then the third section, Paul. And we're, we're especially familiar with that. About half the book really is, is Paul's three missionary journeys. So it's not unreasonable to call it the Acts of the Apostles. But it's, of course, really also uh, the Acts of Jesus Christ. Um, in John 14, 12, he talks about the greater works that men will do, that the disciples will do after he's gone to the Father. Uh, and the book of Acts is a demonstration of that, the truth of what he had said. So it's the work of Jesus Christ. But it's also the acts of the Holy Spirit. And this is, is probably, I don't, I say, you could say it in a human sense, not meaning to make light of it, sort of the book in which the Holy Spirit really shines. Because remember the Holy Spirit deliberately puts himself in the background to highlight the Father and the Son. But in Acts, we really see the Holy Spirit come to the fore. And you'll see in one of your questions at the end, I'm not very comfortable with that. I'm not very comfortable with the Holy Spirit. That's why I ask you in that question, how comfortable are you with the Holy Spirit? Well, not very. I can't control him, I don't understand him, I can't see him, I can't visualize him. But he's there. I mean, he's been, he's been in me and in you since you came to Christ. But I need to get to know him better, and that's one of the things that teachers will lead us through as we go through the book of Acts, because Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit as well. So as I said before, it's volume two of Luke's orderly account. Back in Luke 1-3, he talks about, I have a compiled a, for you most excellent Theophilus an orderly account of these things I'd looked at so long. He'd actually worked quite hard at gathering not only his own observations, because of course, there's a section called the We Chapters in Acts further on. And you can see where Luke changes from they to we after he joins Paul. So he's describing his own, he's an eyewitness to his own experiences. But additionally, he's also very diligent in both Luke and Acts to gather the testimony of eyewitnesses. Uh, People who had actually experienced, seen, heard Christ. I think uh, if you read through the first parts of of Luke's gospel, it's clear that he uh, spent a lot of time talking to Mary because the things that he talks about there, only she would know. Uh, Luke 1, 2 through 4, as I put in your notes, is a preface to Luke-Acts. If you take Luke-Acts as a single a combination of two books, uh, that's the preface to those two volumes, which was actually quite common. You still see it today. Where in a multi-volume book, there'll be a preface at the beginning of volume one. And it'll be effective for both or multiple volumes. So Luke probably drew on Mark's gospel. Uh, I think most, many, if not most, scholars agree that, that Mark was probably the first gospel. Seminarians can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But... but uh, Luke probably wrote before Paul's execution, uh, since he doesn't note it at all. And he probably wrote before the fall of Jerusalem, which dates the book probably to around somewhere. I mean, I put, Stott in the book, and I I think it's a fine date, uh, puts around 60 AD. Because Paul is, according to many sources, uh, dies uh, at the hands of Nero in 62 to 64. Uh, some others put the book as late as 67 A.D. If you see the movie Paul, Apostle of Christ, which is actually quite good, um, they put it a little bit later, just before Nero's own fall, in about 67 A.D. So, who's this guy Luke? Well, as with every writer of Scripture, I mean you're you're a contributor, you're really a, a sub-contributor under the Holy Spirit to uh, the most b- uh, widely read book in history. So you're important just for that, but he's the only Gentile author of scripture. As you know from Colossians 4.14, the term that Marty, uh, Pastor Marty probably most often re- uses to refer to Luke is, is Dr. Luke, the beloved physician from Colossians 4.14. He is, uh, that word yatros is a physician, uh, one who heals. He's educated, not only by his occupation, but by the fact that he's, he uses pretty sophisticated Greek, probably not as sophisticated as the author of Hebrews. But particularly compared to the other Gospels um, written in a fairly educated style. Extra biblical sources, Christian traditions suggest he may have been from Antioch, in what is now Syria, uh, and he probably died in Greece. They suggest that he died in Greece at the age of 84. He had a wider experience of the Roman world. Most of, if you think of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John were Jews in fishermen, a couple of them, uh, or relatives of fishermen who didn't go a whole lot further until later on in life after, the, the, after Christ's resurrection. Hadn't gone much further than the boundaries of Judea, probably not at all further than the boundaries of Judea. Luke clearly had gone further. Uh, Stott notes, as I put up here, he's the only one who calls the Sea of Galilee a lake because he'd seen real seas as opposed to Lake Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee. He also uses markers from the Roman world. He gives us probably more, he spends more time, puts more in his text about, uh, drawn from the wider world Markers that would be meaningful to non-Jews. Um, and i give you some examples there. He uh, dates uh, the events of Luke 2 to the reign of Augustus, Quirinius, the governor of Syria. In Luke 3, he uh, dates to the reign of Tiberius. And to, he lists all the tetrarchs who were in power at the time when Jesus comes into public ministry. He also, as a Gentile, he reaches out to Gentiles. Uh, to those less familiar with Jewish tradition. Like I uh, give you an example in Luke 22, one, he talks about the Passover. He doesn't assume they know what Passover is. He talks about a festival and says that which is called Passover. So what does he say? And these are sort of the major threads that we'll explore for the next uh, couple months as we go through Luke. So Luke teaches that salvation is prepared by God the Father given by Jesus' Son and offered to all peoples. Of course, a major theme of the book of Acts, by the working of the Holy Spirit. In the book, the apostles are the key instruments of God in the spread of the gospel and the expansion of the kingdom. They've been chosen, taught, commissioned, and equipped by Christ. But there are lots of other people involved in the spread of the gospel, The seven deacons, as I talked about earlier, Jewish believers, Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla in uh, Acts 18 and several places throughout. And other Gentiles, Luke himself, for example, also the uh, centurion Cornelius. Luke specifically focuses on the spread of the gospel to the west, out on the Mediterranean uh, and along the coast. It's important to remember, though, that the gospel didn't only spread in those directions. In the first century, we have strong traditions of the gospel reaching India through Bartholomew, the apostles Bartholomew and Thomas. The gospel going to Armenia. The church in Armenia dates its existence from the first century. Oldest Christian country in the world. And also to the south. And Luke does note that with the Ethiopian eunuch. So... Remember that that, uh, we get a snapshot in in Acts of one part of the expansion of the gospel. But just as nowadays, the things we hear about where the gospel goes, it's like that leaven, that invisible leaven that's gradually infiltrating its way into the world. It continues to happen today. It goes places and we have no idea where it's going because the Holy Spirit is taking it there. Now, there are a couple cautions that I want to give you in general, in Acts. And this is true, really, of any narrative passage that we go through, any book of history or description of events. We need to be careful, as we go through those, of taking doctrine solely from narrative passages. In other words, saying, okay, I read that this happened in the book of Acts or in 1 Samuel, so that's the way we should do things. It may be, but we need to look to the doctrinal passages to make sure we're not getting off track. And the reason I say that is the second point there. I need to recognize, especially in Acts, the, that exceptional circumstances, and Acts was certainly a book of exceptional circumstances, may influence how applicable the events and methods and narratives in the book are for the church today. And I think you all know, thing, you can think in your mind, what am I talking about? Sign gifts, how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. And, there, and in this room right now, there are people with a wide variety of views on those issues. It's critically important that we recognize First of all, the points that I'm talking about in Scripture, to make sure we're solely founded, solidly founded on the whole of Scripture in what we believe and how we practice. The second is that on issues that are not core to the Gospel, that we continue to allow each other the freedom to believe different things, to practice different ways, to do things all, all things decently and in order. So Just please bear that in mind as we go through Acts. So what are some of the exceptional circumstances of the book of Acts? The scriptures haven't yet been all written. The canon has not yet been established. Christ is starting the church, and the focus of the church is expanding. So those may influence the general applicability of the events that we see in Acts. And different teachers will bring their own perspectives on those things to you. So again, just bear that in mind. So I need to be careful that I don't necessarily take something that occurs in Acts and make it normative for today. I also need to be careful that I don't exclude phenomena we see in Acts as normative without strong scriptural warrant. Okay, now because I'm up here and I have the mic and the clicker and you don't, I'm gonna do something that I wanna do, which is this which is a bonus. I've covered the, a little bit of this before, but I like history. This is history, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, so these four guys, actually three, th- uh, four busts, uh, are the four emperors that reigned during the period that Luke talks about. Uh, frankly, it's Tiberius, Claudius, Caligula and Nero. And you, if you remember hearing things about, reading things about Roman history, probably the most nearly normal were Tiberius and Claudius. But if you take, for example, Claudius as normal, you realize that your definition of normal is pretty wacky. If you talk about the really weird ones like Caligula, really making your horse a senator, sounds like a great idea to me. Oh, or Nero, of course, everybody knows about Nero. Um, But the great thing is that God is in charge of that. These guys didn't get there, didn't get to the head of the empire by accident. God was sovereign over it. And he also was sovereign over what he was going to do with the church during this time. The gospel was just planted and was starting to spread. So there was a fair amount of turmoil. There were a bunch of two major civil wars up to the period of the reign of Augustus. Augustus in the Battle of Actium in 31 BC sort of ends the major civil wars and gives what is for most people out in the hinterland a period of stability that lasts really quite a while. It doesn't look that way if you read about the reign of these four guys, particularly in the reigns of Caligula and Nero. But nonetheless, for folks out in in the sticks, I can keep on living. Life it may be good; it may be bad, but it's life. The core of the empire around the Mediterranean is mostly stable. There are a lot of wars that are fought during these reigns, but mostly on the periphery. Uh, in Germany, uh, the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest, etc., and the fights on the Danube frontier and the Rhine. Uh, in Britain, when uh, British, when uh, the British are conquered by. Rome, and in Armenia against the Parthians. They don't affect the way people mostly live their lives. So the gospel has a period of relative calm to spread freely. Additionally, the emperor brings, and I've talked about this before, it brings a common currency. You can carry money with you, denarii that are spendable from London all the way east to Armenia. And it gives a common language of trade, Greek. Latin to a degree, but especially Greek. That, uh, so you could make yourself understood to at least somebody in the town, if it was a town of any size, all the way from London to Armenia. Also, the picture on the top is the Appian Way, the first of the Roman road networks. Roman networks, and this is a contemporary picture, uh, naturally, as the picture suggests, still exists Today. And in many cases, they've, they, they'll still there, but they're under the current, uh, the existing roads. Um, the empire put a great deal of work into establishing a strong system of roads. Um, mostly for military purposes originally, but it also had huge benefits as far as trade and unintended benefits as far as the gospel. And you'll see on the lower uh, picture there, it's, I know it's difficult to see, but the extensive road network, not all of them were as, were as solid as roads like the Appian Way, but the major roads and then smaller roads beside them. Certainly, the I think it's accurate to say the finest and most extensive in the ancient world. The other thing is the Mediterranean itself, uh, infested by pirates, um, especially in the period before Uh, the civil wars. And one of the worst pirate empires, so to speak, or pirate uh, conclaves, was in a little place in what's now Syria called Calicia. The capital city of Calicia is Tarsus. You may have heard of somebody from Tarsus. Saul, of course. He was from uh, one of the major pirate kingdoms, so there you go. But piracy had largely been suppressed, not completely because it was too valuable to, to uh, the rich uh, slave owners of the empire to suppress it completely because that's where they got most of their slaves was by was from pirates. Um, but Pompey the Great had uh, pretty much taken the uh, Cilician pirates under control uh, even before the birth of Christ. So why do I tell you all this? Well, it's really, you have relatively safe and secure transport. Uh, transportation again from Britain to Armenia you can travel more or less safely uh, throughout that time throughout those places so God had prepared the way brought the Messiah raised him from the dead now the Holy Spirit is ready to start on the enterprise of building the church and spreading the gospel I have a couple of questions for you, questions for you. So you'll see here, as you've read through Acts in the past, what things have you wondered about it? Gee, that sounds odd. I wonder why they did it that way. Do we do it that way today? Should we do it that way today? Store those up. As we get to those sections, oops, for you, let me give you an example. Acts two, they had all things in common. Should we do that? Are we supposed to do it that way? Uh, I mean, People often make the comparison, okay, well, that's communism. Let's try to, let's sort of move past that and, and get to that's the economic steps that they took in the period of the early church. Let's evaluate, why did they do it that way? Is that normative for us? Another example of what's normative and what's not. So, but think about those questions that you have and store them up uh, to ask the poor teacher that's up here. Uh, during that section. The second is, God didn't resign his sovereignty at the end of the book of Acts. He's still at work in the world today, obviously. What do you think are some of God's goals? Here's a hint, they're probably the same as they were then. Uh, What were some of God's goals, what are some of God's goals as he exercises sovereignty over world events? Obviously, you can, you can go off in a lot of different directions on that, but sort of what are some of the big picture goals? I'll, offer, I'll give you one for free, his glory. God's goal was, is, and will be for all eternity, his glory. So, and got, you guys can talk about the others. And the third one is the question I've already mentioned. Are you comfortable, how comfortable are you with the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's all I got.
1: Well, I want to thank Richard for delivering to us a, an excellent uh, preparation for the book of Acts that we're able to see how, you know, God prepared the way for the gospel. Just amazing, amazing stuff. So thank you, Richard. Um, excellent, excellent message for us this morning. All right, well, let me close us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. And Lord, I just thank you as we delve into the scriptures. There's so much depth. And, Lord, I thank you that, that you did prepare the way for the gospel through the Roman Empire, that it spread so fast, just exponentially amid persecution. And, Lord, uh, I know that there, our, our nation with, um, is becoming so anti-Christian. And, Lord, uh, I just pray that even through persecution, Lord, you, your church will bloom. Lord, I pray that the gospel can be seen high and wide. Um, Amid any persecution that, that some may face at their job place. Um, Lord, I just thank you that you reign supreme um, and sovereign over all history, over all time, and over all lives. Lord, we thank you for uh, the message this morning uh, that Richard prepared. Lord, I just thank you for the book of Acts and how it can show us how the church um, just experienced amazing growth because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.